Howdy, everybody. Welcome to another BP Movie Journal. Uh, I am David Bax, as usual. Oh, I am Tyler Smith, also as usual. No, so nothing's different. Um, we're going to jump right into talking about the movies we've seen. And again, I've seen more than you. This is becoming a worrying trend. Although it's 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 happy for me because I really did make a New Year's resolution to watch more movies. Okay. Because <laughs> I feel like... I mean, for like a regular person, mm-hmm. I watch tons of movies. But for right. a movie geek, I actually like for the last couple of years have not watched all that many movies. Um, so I've been trying to watch more movies, and so this means I'm doing a good job if I keep uh, besting you. I was doing very well around the holidays, um, but now just between work and various other obligations, uh, I just haven't had a great deal of time, and it's really been bothering me. But for the last several days, maybe because it has been my birthday and such. Um, and I took some time off. Uh, I was able to see a few movies this week, which I was excited about. So I don't, yeah, I don't have very many. Sorry. It's been two weeks and I've only got four movies to show for it. All right. Well, um, I think I have eight, so this works out. I'll do two. You do one, you know, you know, works for me. That that works out. Um, first off, uh, yeah, no, never mind. Sorry. <laughs> That's for the main episode. Sometimes I forget which one we're doing. Oh, you know, the, uh, we're doing the BP movie journal. I know, but sometimes two twenty six fifteen. it's like, I just go into this like blind, like rage pretty much. Oh wow. A rage. <laughs> That's maybe it doesn't come across my voice, but I'm completely berserk while podcasting. Okay. I, I'm, yeah. I, I usually don't have any memory of it. Yeah. Uh, I don't that would explain when I'm hurt. Like when we're when we're done, I say we'll get you next time, and you are just soaked in sweat, <laughs> just shaking, like you've been to the gym. Okay, now uh, I'll start with a couple of things that I um, watched and uh, reviewed some uh, some Blu-ray releases uh, okay. for the website. One is the 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 American International Pictures version of Mario Bava's Black Sunday. Okay, um, now what is the difference? Because I, when well, I saw now, the AIP, I thought I don't know what that means. Uh, well. Here's the thing. I actually have not seen the original, which okay. I, uh, uh, you know, mea culpa. I, I, I should because I, I, have, I have liked every Mario Bava film that I've seen. Um, and this one is no exception, despite the fact that it's, you know, from what I can, what I've read and what I, and the, all the screenshots that I've looked at and all the differences, it's way, it's tamer. Um, there's still no, this is the focus of my review is that, uh, you know, Mario Bava might have, his reputation is for, you know, being a giallo uh, filmmaker, mm-hmm. so sort of, you know, broke and somewhat grotesque uh, type of stuff and using a lot of color. Now, this is a black and white film that has all the gore removed. Mm. Um, and yet you can still tell, like, his strengths are beyond just what his reputation is. He's, okay. He was clearly a, a very brilliant uh, filmmaker, and it was it's a delightful film to watch even without. But the, the differences are just, it's just less less bloody um okay. you know the the prologue uh ends with uh so a woman uh, a, a witch slash vampire slash satanist it doesn't really matter they're all well, sort something of, for everybody they're all sort of the same <laughs> is tied to like a post and their way of killing her is this big wooden mask right that's like uh it's like an iron maiden of masks like okay. it has all the spikes going into the face okay so they set it against her face and then a guy with a big mallet crushes it onto her face and into the wood like so it sticks her head to the wood that's uh, pretty badass but couldn't he have just hit her with the mallet <laughs> uh there's something about how the mask of satan oh okay it's called the mask of satan and apparently that's the original title of the film okay um mask of satan uh 
is something like to keep her corpse from uh, coming back to life. Or okay. Something. Uh, and so it's still pretty upsetting what happens in this version, but you don't see, I guess in the original version, you see like the blood splurt, splurt out the sides and this happens. They, they, they cut before that Aww. here. Um, and the, yeah, they, um, the vampires in this movie, you don't stake them to the heart. For some reason you gouge out their eye. Um, and so they cut out the eye gouging and these things, these things are not subtle. Like it literally <laughs> goes from a guy holding a big, like long spike above like a vampire's eye. Yeah. And then it just cuts to the next scene. <laughs> like, it just cuts to everybody, uh, toasting, killing that vampire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there's, so there, yeah, there, and there's a few other things, but it's also in addition to just having content removed, it's a different score. Mm. Um, which is, um, from what I understand, it's a more, uh, I mean, I've listened to some of the, uh, original score now and this, this one, the, uh, the one in the AIP version is good. It's just a little, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I don't want to say on the nose cause that sounds like I'm like, it's, uh, derogatory, but it's, I guess it's just, it's Clear a little cut. more, yeah, it's a little more expected. Okay. It, it's sort of a big broad obviously horror-ish yeah, score yeah. you know yeah. uh whereas the original is a little moodier um and, and a tad more subtle and it's also it's um it's also a different dub job the movie is you know they're in, in the version they're speaking in english right. but it's entirely different like they change uh it's interesting yeah and it's because uh i think they again want to go for a more obvious like uh, just from what I've understood, understood in general, it's they're making just the more obvious choices, trying to make the movie a little less weird. Hmm. Um, but they also cut out um, the satanic woman has an assistant in uh, this guy who's her her evil satanic assistant or whatever. But I guess in the original, it's her brother, and there's sort of hints of incest Ooh, there well well <laughs> so they they make her they make him her assistant to remove that i see in this version they also she says um this one it, it cracks me up and i mentioned it in the review that uh in the original she has she has a line something like you will know the joy and happiness of hades okay and in the aip version it says you will know the joy and happiness of hating <laughs> so <laughs> well look either way at least you're gonna know the joy and happiness. yeah yeah it's That's a, important, i like you your know. positivity yeah okay so um yeah i watched that uh, was incidentally good. if you if uh, you or the listeners uh, if you enjoy the works of uh mario bava and giallo filmmaking and such um i would suggest listening to what the fuck are you watching because they talk about those types of films well they uh, did pretty a, frequently they did a, they did a mario of, bava month yeah, but yeah that was like they it was, were, a it was like three years ago i feel like. was it that long ago They've been Gosh. doing this for a while. Yeah, I guess um, so. And so I'm not sure if those episodes are still available, but uh, but yeah, check in with uh, what the fuck are you watching and see if they're if those are still available. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the other one I watched um, was a Jean Luc Godard film called Every Man for Himself, which was a Criterion release, um, and it's a very interesting movie. But it's one of those like I have a real tough time with with uh, Godard like. I mean, I After like, the 60s? Yeah. Uh, um, and I feel like that's kind of intentional. Like, I feel like he's kind of, in a lot of his movies, daring you to like them. Um, and so, yeah, Every Man for Himself is a movie about a bunch of really fucking awful people. That's, a, like, um, 
the 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 lead character who was a television director named Godard uh talks muses out loud about wanting to see his preteen daughter topless and fuck her in the ass <laughs> it says that sort of thing out loud i'm using that harsh language to get across that's yeah. that's the way it's said in the film um and then isabel huper uh plays a prostitute who offers to become her own sister's pimp uh and it's just uh is she a pimp or a madam at that point well i think a madam runs a house a of house. like a brothel okay, okay. like yeah house of ill repute david sure sure um i'm trying to think of what the other uh, <laughs> that's all i got bordello of blood there we go <laughs> that's right uh so uh, but that's not obviously it's still Jean-Luc Godard like he's a good filmmaker and he's making really interesting yeah. choices that are sometimes really difficult uh to watch not just in the these characterizations I've talked about but you know he uh the the movie just suddenly shifts into super slow motion yeah. from time to time for no obvious I think those uh, in in retrospect why they're doing it at certain times is obvious but uh, in the moment it just seems um it's jarring and speaking of jarring there's also musical cues that stop or start very suddenly just in the middle of scenes uh i don't it's i think like a lot of later godard it's it's an esoteric he's an esoteric type of filmmaker it's something i could like recommend uh that you know any casual movie buff go pick up at barnes and noble or whatever like this is um sorry barnes and nobles um you know it's for uh, people who think they're who already have a feeling that they might be interested in shall make Godard's films oh sure is what i'm saying uh yeah so it's a nice um uh release you know it's got a lot of special features and interviews and and stuff and it also has uh one thing i feel like uh maybe gets overlooked sometimes the special features but criterion focuses on is it's not just the special features on the disc they also have the booklet mm-hmm. you know and this one has an essay by amy tobin or tobin i think mm-hmm. tobin um from film comment i think okay uh about the film that's really really good and um did it make you see see the film in a new light it made me feel a little less uh antagonistic toward the film fair enough. because if i felt like the film was so antagonistic toward me yeah um that I'm glad I I'm glad I read that. All right, that's two for you. Yeah, you're up. Here's one for me. Uh, so I did finally get around to watching uh, Jean Marc Vallée's Wild. Oh, is, that how, is that how you say it? I want to make sure. That's I got how it. I would say okay. it. Uh, it's not wheeled. <laughs> that's a dumb joke. Um, yeah, no, no, and no, I, I like that joke. And I enjoyed it. Joke. <laughs> I could eat that joke up with her spoon. What? Um, the, uh, yeah, it's, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I, I was worried that I might not because I don't love women. I don't love women. (laughs) Look, I'll tolerate them. Uh, because there seems to be a, they seem to be sticking around for a while. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, cause I didn't love into the wild. There are things I like about, there are things I love about it. See, I, yeah, I feel like in my memory, you liked it more than I did. I like it more than you did. Yes. But there are things about it. We did a more than one lesson about it uh, a while back and I rewatched it and, and there are things that I love and then, but as a whole, I don't think I liked it that much. So 
hearing about Wild, it seemed sort of like a combination of Into the Wild and Eat, Pray, Love uh, in, <laughs> in, its, in, in its own way, neither of which really interested me. Uh, and it winds up being uh, w- like miles ahead of both of them. Um, I think it's a really wonderful film. And when we get to uh, this week's episode, I'll be talking more about it. Oh, okay. But I, I thought Reese Witherspoon was doing really wonderful. I believe you described her performance at one point as fearless. I would say that is correct. Okay. Um, very, I remember saying that, but that sounds right. Just a lot. And I would say there's a certainly a lack of self-consciousness. She's just willing to do whatever the character needs her to do. And she doesn't, you know, she doesn't care that she's a movie star. She doesn't care that she's going to look grimy and and you know, uh, that we're going to really look down, not look down on her character, but view her actions as like really notably, almost disgustingly self-destructive at times. Right. Yeah. No, I see that. But I feel like if I were, if I hadn't seen the film and I was listening to you describe that right now, Mm -hmm. I would be turned off. Like uh, that doesn't, that sounds exhausting. But I think the other thing that I think Reese, Reese Witherspoon should be commended for in Wild. Um, that Emil Hirsch didn't really do mm-hmm. in Into the Wild is allow the character to be laughable at times. Oh, sure. You know, there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, it's not like there's jokes in Wild. Maybe there yeah. are one or two, but there's a lot of, you know, human comedy uh, in there. And I think, I mean, Reese Witherspoon being, I think, a naturally pretty talented comedic actress. Yes. Um, you know, is makes the smart choice to keep that. Uh, part of her performance and i think a lot of that comes from the motivation of the character if you want to if you want to compare those two characters both of them are trying to sort of escape things but what they're trying to escape is very different reese witherspoon's character is trying to escape herself or at least trying to like there's a there's a great deal of regret and disdain for the choices she has made so this is sort of a, a fresh start in which she can sort of redefine herself to a certain extent Emil Hirsch's character hates everybody else. If there's one person he likes, it's him, which will yeah. make him, which will make the character that's himself. A, that's a good point. A lot less, a lot more humorless, I would say. But I think what speaks to me about why I like one character better than the other and therefore one movie better than the other is I think Cheryl mm-hmm. knows that what she's doing is kind of pretentious and cliched. And like, oh, yeah. like she knows that. This whole thing is a little like eye rolly. You know? Oh sure. Where, uh, whereas Christopher McCandless is that his name? Yeah, yeah. Oh, good for me. Um, uh, he's he really feels like he's embarking on something, and I, he's I think he's younger. Uh, yeah, I think than so. Cheryl Strait was. Um, he, he's taking his journey more seriously, whereas Cheryl is sort of like this means a lot to me, but I'm going to have a sense of humor about the fact that it sounds kind of crazy and and self-indulgent to anyone else. There's, there's sort of to, there's sort of an attitude of like, sure. Why not? Like, I, I I don't really know what else to do. So why wouldn't I do this? What the hell? Whereas him, it's just like my whole life was leading up to this moment and just, and so he will be, like I said, he'll be more of a humorless character and the interactions that they have with other people along the way are going to have a notably different tone. And right. while I do enjoy a lot of the characters that uh, he encounters in Into the Wild, the encounters with this, I would Again, say well, to keep to keep the uh, it's almost unfair that we're talking about these wild almost solely mm-hmm. in terms of comparing it to Into the Wild. But um, I think another reason Wild is a stronger movie is that Into the Wild 
uh, is so supported by the these characters that come in and out. To me, yeah. they're the they're way more interesting to me in almost every case. Infinitely. Whereas Wild balances both. It has great, yeah. interesting characters that come in and out, but you have this strong spine of yeah. of Cheryl as a character. Uh, Wild reminded me in tone. Certainly not in, in, in execution or anything like that. They're they're very different films, but in tone and the and the type of road movie that it is of the straight story. This is the strayed story, David. <laughs> um and it's uh and I that's a movie I love. And just the way that she interacts with people and the effect they have on her, the effect she has on them, uh, is very invigorating to watch. And you get the opportunity to see some really great supporting performances on top of everything else most notably for us uh w earl brown who i'm mostly familiar with is dan doherty from deadwood Uh um man oh man and he's not in it very long like none of these people are in it very long but boy he he and his wife are just wonderful oh yeah and his scene even his scenes even before we meet his wife yeah uh, talk about how he likes to eat licorice at the end of a yeah. of a long day. That's a that's an amazing scene. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, we can move on. Sorry okay. about that. So, um, what's next for me? I watched a documentary called Death Metal Angola. Okay. Uh, and it is about what it sounds like it's about. It's about death metal bands in the country of Angola. Okay. Um, basically, Ang- uh, Angola is in Africa, and it uh, had uh, about a twenty five year long civil war. Yeah. Um that uh left a, a lot of it in 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 shambles. Um in particular the city where most of the film takes place, which is uh, I think pronounced Wombo is the name of the city. Mm-hmm. Um and the main characters are this woman who runs essentially an orphanage, although I don't think it's really like a state sanctioned thing. I think this is just like what things are like in Angola right now. She just has a house and she has like 50 something boys living there and, you know, uh, tries to get them into other homes, mostly just taking care of, uh, these boys. And some of the older ones are, have discovered and gotten into, uh, heavy metal, Mm -hmm. um, death metal in particular, but heavy metal in general. And they've decided to put on a uh, rock festival in in Huambo, um, mostly focused on heavy metal. And so it's about the state of Angola uh, after this long civil war. And then it's also a music documentary about the Angolan death metal scene, which there are a, a bunch. You know, they go to other cities like Luanda, I think, is the uh, the capital. And they go to another city that I can't remember the name of. Um and so you get to know a lot of these different uh, different bands, and and then it sort of culminates in the in the festival. Um, so it is this like you know sort of standard rock doc, let's put on a show type of build up to yeah. a thing about this scene, but it has a, all this other weight of uh, you know uh, the, the this country um, and whether or not it can rebuild itself, and what these young people represent as a another wave of angolans uh it's 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 really interesting uh i wish there were more metal in it i feel like and up until the performances at the end we don't really see that much okay um and you know there's a score for the movie that is non-metal um but uh yeah i found it i found it really interesting david i should say real quick uh you know it if you've ever seen the film uh, Amelie, you know that people have uh, little things that they enjoy that are just strange little, uh, uh-huh. you know, stuff that other people don't even notice is a, a favorite thing. 
the phrase let's put on a show being used as an adjective is one of my favorite things in the world. <laughs> I, I love it. Just and and you and you just did it and yeah. I and I because people and, know exactly what uh, you mean. Yeah. So now you got to see this movie. I got to see You're this movie. Up. What choice do I have? Um but there is there's one band in it called um Dor Fantasma. Um they speak Portuguese in Angola. Okay. Um cuz that's who they were colonized by. <laughs> um I I I feel like I never know like Africa is a hu- percentage wise a huge part of this world, mm-hmm. and there's so much I don't know about the different countries. And yeah. you know, I vaguely know where some of them, uh, like some of them, I don't really know where they are in the yeah uh, in the continent. I feel I feel very bad about that, uh, and I don't yeah I don't know which countries speak English or French or Portuguese or you know their name or their native yeah, languages yeah. that weren't brought to them by uh, colonists. Yeah, it's. Yeah, most of what I know about uh, Africa is based on movies that I've seen. And uh, I'll just throw this out there. They tend not to be upbeat. Uh, (laughs) So as far as I can tell, the only word that could ever be used to describe Africa is (laughs) war-torn. And of course, I'm I'm not saying that seriously, but just that's what most of the movies are about. Yeah. Um, And it's it's a bummer. Did you ever see the – I mean, this was a TV movie – slash series the number one ladies detective agency no i heard it was great um it's it's actually kind of uh by the numbers Mm. um but it is great to see a sort of you know lighthearted genre movie yeah uh it takes place in uh botswana i think okay yeah yeah i think Uh, and anytime amazing race goes to africa i'm just like it's breathtaking to look at, right, yeah. you know, and it makes you want to go there. But then I think of all the movies I've seen and I just think, <laughs> well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be killed just so I can see an elephant or something like that. Right. So. <laughs> okay. Uh, moving on. I saw a movie, uh, got invited to a screening by a publicist. There's no release date that I know of. This movie's just played festivals, but they were doing a screening at the UTA United talent agency. Is okay. what it's called. Um, like the crazy fanciest screening room I've ever been in. I've never been there before. Um, I hope I get to go more because it's yeah. like crazy. It's like the seats are essentially at this screening room are essentially like the back seat of like a luxury automobile, like mm-hmm. long bench seats that have the same like thick armrests you can pull down or put away into the seat. Super super comfortable. Um, nice mood lighting when you walk in. Oh, nice. I, I really enjoyed that part of it. Uh, the movie was also. Did I say what the movie is called? No. Yet? It's called She's Lost Control. Okay. Um, and it is, I'm guessing, ironically titled because it's the most, like, strictly reserved and, like, controlled movie. It's one of the, like, I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm ragging on it because I'll get to the stuff I liked. But it, it's just one of those indie movies that I think is more interested in tone than story or character or anything else and so it's about a woman who is um getting her masters in uh some sort of uh, like social work or something like that and in the meantime is working as a thing that i've heard of in other movies i don't know if it's real or not helen hunt did it in the sessions okay a a sex therapist so someone who has therapeutic sex with her clients but is um you know a therapist first uh i don't know my wife says that doesn't exist um and you know, but that, isn't the sessions based on a real thing i have no idea okay um 
I didn't see it. So yeah, neither did I actually. I, I don't know about what to say. That. Uh, I have the screenplay at home, but I have not seen it. Um, so it's about that, and it's about her, you know, her life in general, but also specifically one one client that she's uh, that she's seeing. Hmm. Um, but the uh, the cinematography is nice. The tone is well sustained. It never again. The title seems. <laughs> ironic because my only complaint with it is that you're sort of like the whole movie you're waiting for something bad to happen with her and this client yeah and then it does and then she kind of changes some things about her life and moves on but it's not there's nothing drastic that happens yeah you're waiting for something to happen and it happens and then there's not really any surprise after that it's like i go well, i guess what i thought we were building up to is what we were actually building up to um, and so that's kind of disappointing. Now that said, the cast is fantastic. Okay. Um, the, I, I, most of them aren't people that I, um, would be able to tell you what else they were in. Uh, okay. one of them is a guy named, I've seen him in stuff before, but I can't place it. His name is Dennis Boutsakaris. Do you know who that is? Oh yeah. He kind he of was, looks like Chris Sarandon. Yeah. He was, I knew him first from, uh, playing, from being in the dream team. He would also show up on law and order. He's one of those character actors that you've seen in a million things. Yeah. Yeah. He plays. Her, I believe he like, was in Crocodile Dundee too. Okay. Maybe. I don't remember. He's her like, I guess like academic advisor, like the actual, That's like the kind of role he gets professor yes. at the school where she, uh, and then the, um, uh, coincidentally, the, the patient I'm talking about is played by a guy named Mark Menchasa or Menchaka, um, mm. whom I, who just coincidentally was on an episode of togetherness, like, oh, okay. uh, two weeks ago when they went to, if people watch togetherness, it's when they, when Amanda Pete and Steve Zissis are in Houston, it's the cowboy guy that she dances with at the bar. Um, but the star, the woman in particular is fantastic and is like, I have to admit a little bit like maybe one of my new like celebrity crushes. Watch out. Uh, her name is Brooke Bloom. Brooke Bloom. I recognize her. I recognized her immediately, but I wasn't until after that I could remember what from. And I don't know if you would know because I don't know how much of Louie you've watched. None. Okay. Well, there was. Um, I watched half of the first episode and realized <laughs> I was not in the emotional state <laughs> well, to the, watch this. There was one. This is in like the second or third season where they did an extended flashback to Louie and his wife when they were first married or maybe it was before they even got married when they were dating. Uh, and she played the young version of Louie's wife and okay. she was amazing. And, uh, and, uh, apparently it wasn't a fluke. She continues to be amazing okay. and she's lost control for all of its kind of lackluster predictability is worthwhile. I would say, for Brooke Bloom's performance, but okay. I could just be saying that because I have a crush on her. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> All um, right, what's next for you? Next for me is Clint Eastwood's American Sniper. Oh, we haven't talked about this yet? No. All right. Whew. Let's go. Okay. Um, it's fine. It's <laughs> like, it's uh, obviously, like, it's not my least favorite movie of. 2014 it's mine it's yeah it's nowhere close uh to that nor is it near the top either um you know if we're talking about individual if we're talking about individual elements bradley cooper is amazing i have not uh disputed that at any yeah, point he's it, it's it's really quite astounding how not merely physically because of course he put on a bunch of muscle but just 
I mean, he is a think think of where he started, like or at least how we all got to know him, which what is the American Summer. Well, yeah, but um, <laughs> sorry, how well, no, how think, everyone else got to know him. I'm trying to think. I guess yeah, for me it would have been Wet Hot American Summer to then Alias, but he might have already been on Alias. I oh, just gotcha. didn't watch it till later. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know about about that either. But uh, uh, but I can't The Hangover remember. is really what put him nationwide on the map. Okay, and yeah. and then the stuff after that. It's just he's just a guy with tremendous charisma. Oh, you know the first thing I saw him in. Aside from White Hot American Summer, the first thing that registered was probably uh, Midnight Meat Train. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's but, the uh, Midnight Meat Train. Sorry, pardon me. Um, I thought there might be several. Um, <laughs> a Midnight Meat Train, right? right yeah. So uh, the uh, <laughs> the second best Midnight Meat Train, that's coming out. So uh, Midnight Meat Train in the Garden of Good and Evil. <laughs> midnight Meat Train in Paris. <laughs> midnight Meat Train Express. Yeah. Watch out for that one. Um <laughs> This is a dumb series of comments we've just made. Um, but anyway, he's just, he's a guy with tremendous charisma. And for him to shed that while still without coming off as just bland or like, I mean, you can, I feel like you can tell when you're playing, when you're watching an actor play brooding as opposed to just brooding. Uh-huh. And I never, <laughs> I never got the sense of that. Uh-huh. Um, that scene you were talking about where he's at the, you know, auto mechanics. Yeah. That's the highlight of the movie. It's wonderful. Me. Wonderful yeah. scene. Um, I will say from a from a directorial standpoint, there's some great work. That sandstorm sequence is tough to beat. I thought it was really, really powerful and really uh, stressful, and all of those things. I, I think it could have gone on maybe a bit. Uh, it might have gone on a bit long. I, I think it's too but, late in the movie that I was kind of like I was. The movie had not hooked me. Uh, I, so I don't know that it had the effect it had. The character, the character hooked me, which is why that part is is fine. The movie itself, there's tons of there, maybe not tons of flaws. The whole thing with the rival sniper, I'm certainly not the first person to say this. From what I hear, it's an actual thing. But my guess is the writer, when he read that there was a rival sniper who is an Olympian, he must have shit himself because he's <laughs> like, oh, a narrative device, right. wonderful. Right. I've got a face. I can put a face on the enemy now. Not a personality, but a face. Right. Um, and so, like, so it, it often feels like a device, even though I there is one little moment that I like a lot where um, it's like Chris Kyle's fourth tour and um, and this one. And as he's being briefed, the, the guy says a lot of our uh, a lot of our contractors who are building this wall, they're being picked off by the sniper. And then Chris Kyle says, is it Must- I think his name is Mustafa. And he says, who's whoever you want him to be. Just just get him done. <laughs> I like moments like that. And that, mm-hmm. to me, is a nice little encapsulation of what the film is about, which is the idea of, not unlike The Hurt Locker, but even more so with this, just how much a person will personalize a war in order to do what they have to do. Like, you can't stay... And just the way that that turns into a cycle, just a never ending cycle. And just because it starts out like, all right, I want to fight for my country. All right. So you go in, you fight for your country. And as you do so, one of your guys gets killed. All right. Now you're fighting for that guy. And then you kill somebody else. And then they decide they're going to come after you. And it turns into the, and then it just turns into like just a bunch of just, for lack of a better term, grunts going after each other mm-hmm. and it bec- and then all then they all take this home with them and i don't know it just to me it doesn't seem i don't think i would say the film is pro war i don't think it's necessarily anti war either um i think it's more just and 
And despite what Clint Eastwood said, because I looked it up, despite what oh, he I, said, I don't want to. I don't know if I want to know. Well, he said that he saw it as kind of an anti-war film, and more specifically, the idea of 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 veterans not really being taken care of as they come home. It's like, no, no, no. You can't spend 12 total minutes on the, on him when he comes home and say, that's what the film is about. Yeah. You know, I, Best I don't years know of our I, lives. That's what that's about. I don't see it as an anti-war. I, f- I feel like it's a film that wants to, wants to think of itself as being clear eyed about the horrors of war. And yeah. that's debatable. I would say it's still got some, some tint of gla- glasses on yeah um but still ultimately wants to come down on the uh, on the side of it being noble or what he did being being noble and not wanting to not wanting to question that i feel like uh but is it, let me ask you this is this a situation nobody would ever look at band of brothers and say and say oh how dare they act like this is a noble thing no one would ever say that because we have the benefit of hindsight but now it is about a war that is so fresh in our memory that i feel like we bring a lot of this to it and but like tonally is it really any different than saving private ryan and i know it's a different enemy and a different war and i think that's that's a problem is that it's it's trying to you know fight the previous war as the saying goes yeah yeah um because and I, I i i think that might be a mischaracterization of banner brothers by the way because i think the the driving force of banner brothers is right there in the title it's more about these guys who were all you know for one reason or another ended up um d- doing this thing being in this situation mm-hmm. uh and the way that they were there for one another um but did you not get that vibe at all from the chris kyle character uh, I don't. I feel like his his buddies are uh, kind of interchangeable, and I, I don't. I feel like he has this. What I'm talking. About, it go, this goes back to what I was saying about um, the Mockingjay Part One. Okay. About um, Katniss being noble because she's motivated by actual one-on-one human. Uh, caring and compassion Mm -hmm. whereas chris kyle or at least the chris kyle of the movie seems to he has like this dedication to this idea of like these are my fellow americans these are my Mm -hmm. uh my you know my my band of brothers or whatever but he's more about the idea than i i don't see him being um and i don't know if this is the screenplay or if it's if it's eastwood but i don't ever see him as being on level ground with his compatriots well i'll say this if it is the screenplay then it is eastwood because he never changes his scripts if there is a flaw in the script it will be a flaw in the film <laughs> and i think that's a problem with him as a director as uh, he goes with the script too much yeah so so if i'd gotten the idea that um that this is about something more than him just being committed to an ideal which is just too superhero-ish yeah um especially for the story that that he, that Eastwood's trying to tell. If I'd gotten that idea, it would make more sense because it, uh, what works for me is either like the Banner Brothers thing, where it's more about the guy next to you, as they say, yeah, or a Hurt Locker thing, where it's like, okay, on the surface, maybe this guy is like, like Chris Kyle, mm-hmm. but really he's got like he's being motivated by something maybe wrong or bent or twisted inside him, and maybe it's the war that's been and it's a self fulfilling prophecy, yeah, but. uh 
I, I, I guess, and maybe we're just talking about personal taste, but I feel like American Sniper, despite superficially dealing with things like post-traumatic stress disorder, right. is not a very... Uh, not a film that's very interested in psychology. Yeah, uh, that I agree with. Um, because just the minute he got home, and while I do think some scenes like like him at the barbecue going after the dog, that's an effective right. scene. Yeah, I would like to have seen but, more scenes like that. Yeah. And try. And there's a part where he's talking to a psychologist, and it's like I could have used maybe two more minutes of that scene or maybe one or two more of scenes like that. Or just the implication that he is repeatedly going to a psychologist and not having right. half a therapy session yeah, yeah. and then being all better, which yeah. is, but the, uh, the dog scene, I don't know if that's based on something that's, that's yeah, true, but it, whether it is or not, it's such an echo of something that happened on Homeland. Oh, okay. Um, where again, they were having a backyard party after this guy had been a prisoner of war for mm. eight years or whatever. And there had been this runner throughout the episode of this, uh, deer that kept coming in, like eating the flowers okay. and the deer shows up during the party and in front of everyone, Brody shoots and kills the deer with a handgun. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and that's a great scene. Yeah. I'm laughing because it's, it's so insane. That's kind of the point. Yeah. Um, but that's such a powerful scene that when this, um, sort of, I guess somewhat lower stakes version happens in American Sniper. Yeah. I couldn't help but just think of Homeland. I did I think also that's a problem. I did also like the scene that um, that they, I think they the one they used for the Oscar clip where his uh, baby is crying. Oh and, yeah, and yeah, that's a nice moment. But that's from an acting standpoint. And you know what I'll say is that, um, and I know we have to move on. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's really American do. Sniper. I figured we'd wind up talking about it a lot. Um, the uh, We've talked in the past about, or at least I've talked in the past about how there are some movies that I, I tend to just sort of accept, especially a character motivation, I tend to just sort of accept it and move along. Um, un- unless what they're doing runs counter to that. Like if they're offering up like, this is my sole motivation, but nothing they do goes with that, then it's like, all right, well, either you need to make this character more inherently complicated so that I believe he would contradict his own motivation or you need to make him consistent. And his and in this film, his behavior is consistent with the motivation. And so I tend to just sorry, the the performance certainly is consistent with the motivation. And I and so I tend to just sort of accept it. And I feel bad that I do that because like for uh, um, the one I go back to is uh, Anatomy of a Murder, um, which is a film I love. Which I've and, never seen. Oh, I think you'd enjoy it a lot. Um but Jimmy Stewart in the film, he's a lawyer who takes this case and we never quite know why he just decides he's going to take it and he commits to it. It has nothing to do with an ideology. He has no personal stake in, uh, no personal claim or anything like that. And so, uh, but he just does it. And I remember I was watching with, uh, Jason and, and Josh and various other friends and they said, we never know why he did. It. And I was like, huh, you know, it didn't, I just kind of accepted it people do stuff all the time that either doesn't make any sense or mm-hmm. I'm just willing to go with it. And with this, like the character saying, you know, I, I, I have the ability to protect people. So if I'm not, and people need protecting. So if I'm not doing that, then what's the point of, of me, you know? And so my, so I tend to just accept that and move on. But now that, but now that you mentioned, it, I think you're right. Like, it, it will go maybe to, like there's the surface then there's one layer below that 
then there are probably several others that are completely unexplored. Mm-hmm. So almost everything that I like about the film, first is the performance, and then a lot of the technical aspects. The script is where it comes up short because I feel like they were content to just, you know, they were content to stop at too shallow a place. Um, and other movies have done that like Patton, but Patton, the nature of his character is that he doesn't question things. He doesn't question himself. Yeah. Yeah. And he he would never ever in his life get uh, PTSD ever. (laughs) He would, he would call anybody, he would call Chris Kyle a pussy. Uh Um, and then challenge him to shoot a bullet right at his nose. Like, so that it's more understandable. But with this, I think like a saving it thinks it's like saving private ryan and maybe it thinks it's like letters from Iwo Jima, which i think is a wonderful film um at least as far as what its goals are and and it isn't i like it on a on a surface level and i think a lot of people when we'll be doing an episode about this kind of thing down the line okay but uh surface le- like on a surface level it's merely about a guy's actions and his actions could be seen as patriotic. And so people have embraced the film on the, on a patriotic level. And I feel like a lot of patriotism tends to be pretty surface level anyway. Um, and so we will talk it, about that in a later episode. So it stands to reason that people would embrace it on that level. I'm sorry for talking so long. That's quite all right. Let's move on to another film that you've seen, uh, okay. that I think you quite liked actually. Watch as I recall. It's called listen up Philip. Yes. Directed by I, Alex Ross Perry. Yes. I loved it. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's, um, I uh, feel like going back to it's a very different film from every man for himself, but it's also something that I wouldn't recommend easily to just anyone. Right. Because <laughs> the main character is just the worst person. Yeah. But I actually, I mean, I feel like that's actually too dismissive of me um, because Jason's Jason Schwartzman, who's not an actor that I have often that I've always liked. Right. I've liked him in certain things and I don't know. I like him in Scott Pilgrim. Um, but, uh, uh, and I like him in uh, Moonrise Kingdom of all things, hmm. um, but uh, he, he's fantastic here. I, w- I would say this is the best performance. This is a performance of his career, as far as I'm concerned. And it's a f- performance that no one else could have done. <laughs> to the like, no one could have realized that character as thoroughly as he did. I think. Or I, I wonder if maybe if so if someone else if certain other actors had had done that. Um, you know, if say going back, if it was like a young Christian Slater, he'd be um, too too harsh. You know, it would be it would be it'd be harder to find things to like about him. Mm-hmm. But because he's Jason Jason Schwartzman, yeah, um, he has no matter how awful he's being or self centered he's being, yeah. or painfully hurtfully blunt he's being. Like he's still Jason Schwartzman, and he has a sort of uh, scrappy quality to him. Absolutely, and I think that that really helps because it it gives the impression, which I think is right for the movie, the impression that uh, this is for whatever this means. Uh, whatever I'm about to say actually means this isn't who Philip actually is. Right. This is a persona that Philip's putting on. Then maybe he becomes the mask to mm-hmm. a certain extent, but um, uh, I, I think just something about the way that Jason Schwartzman carries himself helps give that impression, which I think is crucial to enjoying the movie. And I think the whole film is about that, about people acting in a way 
that maybe they feel like they are expected to act this way, that because of maybe their status or financially or professionally that, okay, well, this is, if I act this way, people will think a certain thing about me. They might think I'm, yes, I'm an asshole, but I'm a misunderstood genius. You even have a character who isn't in the film very, uh, very long, but he makes a joke and then someone says like, someone says, oh, I'm sorry, what is it? He goes, no, I just, I'm, I'm self-deprecating, ask around. And <laughs> yeah. it's and it, like, that is the, li- it's funny, but yeah. that's a line from somebody who has a deep understanding, not merely of himself, but of how he is perceived. And I think all these characters are acting in that way. Now that character, well, one of the great lines of the movie is when, I guess, slight spoiler, that character ends up killing himself. Yeah. Uh, And (laughs) Jason, Philip was supposed to do like an interview piece, but lost the job when he punched the guy in the stomach. Yeah. (laughs) Later, that character kills himself. And Philip says... He says, that's awful. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm glad he's dead. I just wish I'd been able to do that interview. <laughs> so that's, if you haven't seen the movie, that's the kind of person we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's all it's all hilarious, um, but really uh, um, emotionally honest. And we're not talking about Elizabeth Moss, who is almost as much a lead, um, yeah. at least for large, uh, a large section of the middle of the movie as Jason Schwartzman is, and, and she's also fantastic. And Jonathan Price is also doing really great work. Yep. It's just, and Kristen it's, Ritter. Yeah, it's a, yeah, everyone involved in this film is doing, I don't like to say career best work, but a good portion of them, I think, for Jason Schwartzman, it's maybe the best I've ever seen Jonathan Price. Um, and Elizabeth Moss, what I've, eh, she's pretty great. Uh, in, <laughs> yeah, in a she's lot good of things I've seen. So, uh, so I have a hard time saying that. But yeah, it's a film that not a lot of people saw, and listeners of this show, I think you would love it. Okay, let's move on. Next for you? Yeah, this is going to be a tough one okay. to talk about. Um, for spoiler reasons? No, um, because, well, when I say what it is, you'll know what I'm talking about. Okay. It's, it's a difficult film to discuss. Okay. And it's something that has been a blind spot for me for a long, long time. It's considered one of the great films of all time, hmm. at least by uh, pretentious folk like us. Yeah. And I know you've seen it. Okay. Uh, I don't quite remember how you feel about it. Uh, it's called Last Year at Marion Bed. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I know how you felt about it the first time you saw it was that you didn't like it. Didn't like it. It has grown on me to a an insane degree. Okay. So I, it's, I kind it, of love it now. I, 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 that's kind of what I thought, but um, I didn't want to say. And I think I, yeah, I, I definitely found it. Um, I, I feel like when it was over, I went to bed and I was like, I was, <laughs> I feel like I make this reference way too often, but I was like John Locke on Lost. I was like, I need to watch that again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, so I do really feel like, Maybe that's part of the reason I'm hesitant to talk too much about it because I feel like I need to watch it three more times, maybe. Oh, sure. Um, and, and really decide uh, how I feel. But I'll just say, um, from a you know technical and formal standpoint, it's breathtaking. Yeah, uh, it's so beautiful to look at in the way that it moves and the way that it's edited together. You know, it's. Um, I feel like it's a cliche to say that it's dreamlike um and it's also i feel like that's also not entirely correct for a lot of it because it's more about memories than dreams um but some of it is dreamlike um there's a sequ- there's a scene that i'm uh that i think is astounding um in a very dreamlike way you see the woman the female character in her ho- hotel room mm-hmm. and then she turns around and then we cut to the shot I think it's just the reverse shot of the male character talking to her. 
and then it cuts back and forth. And so you're still in the head, head mindset. We're still in her hotel room. Yeah. Because that's where she was when she turned around. But it turns out, you realize later when they walk, oh, wait, they're in the hallway. Yeah. Because when she turned around, there was a cut that represented a jump in time that we didn't even realize was happening. Yeah. Uh, and I find that sort of thing so brilliant. You know, when the, the this whole conversation, we think we're in one place and the camera just moves to the right and you realize, oh, wow, we're... Uh, we're somewhere else entirely. That's very dreamlike and uh, really smart um, filmmaking. Well, yeah, that's that's one of the things that I like about the film that I have come to really embrace. Movies like um, Mulholland Drive, which I didn't like when I first saw it. Movies like The Limey and uh, and um, oh yeah, it has a lot and, in common with The Limey and actually. Spider. Um, I need to see that one again. But just movies that ex- that explore the nature of dreams and the nature of memory. Um, I feel like there's a lot that try to do it and fail inception. Um, but I feel like there are a few that really understand. Yeah, this isn't going to make a lot of sense. There's a a definite intangibility. I mean, most people, including me forget their dream the moment it's over, but when it's happening, it's the realest thing ever. It can be terrifying. It can be beautiful. Well, and that's now you're getting to the overlap between dreams and memories, Mm -hmm. um, which, uh, can also feel kind of like the memory of a drug, you know, an acid trip or something like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can't trust, you can't trust your own memory when it comes to, to a dream. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, last year Mary Bad definitely gets that uh that that sense um of almost like it takes place as much as as beautiful uh as everything is, it's almost like the film kind of takes place on uh shifting earth or, or quicksand or something. Like you never really feel like you're confident of where you are or at what point uh you know, this is taking place. Um it's like another well, another dream movie. I, you know, it's more about memories and dreams, but I keep comparing it to dream movies. Uh, yeah, w- Waking Life. Yeah, um, feels kind of similar in that they're both really, really talk heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for I mean, for all of the sort of um, filmic tricks and editing, uh, fancy editing that happens in Last Year Mary and Bad, it's mostly about two people talking and then within that it's really mostly about this one guy talking to a woman for about 90 minutes yeah in a way like the one thing that is a little questionable is that this guy comes off like a real creep (laughs) at a lot of at a lot of points but also you can't you can't trust that that's true because if he's if he's right what he in what he's saying then he's he's right to be this emphatic yeah you know um because how could she not remember this huge thing but if he's got it wrong yeah. then he's a total creep so uh it really uh, again i need to watch it again and again and again yeah but you're but you're happy you saw it oh well, most definitely yeah. most definitely all right um oh you're up okay i saw i do not remember the there are two directors i don't remember the name of of the other one i feel terrible uh but one of the directors is jermaine clement i saw oh, what, what we, we do, do in, in the, the shadows. shadows uh taika waititi okay yeah it's a very uh oh shoot now i can't I freaking went to New Zealand and I can't remember the name of, uh, Maori. Maori. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just, uh, it's delightful. Did you see it? No, I, I, yeah. oh, I really want to. It's, it's, uh, so much fun. I laughed a lot. I'll say this. It's the kind of, it's the kind of, uh, I was talking about this with, uh, with Josh, who I, whom I saw the film with, um, that it's, it's not a quotable film. 
there are a couple moments here and there that you'll that you'll quote, but mostly just it's just little conversational exchanges, or it'll cut to a a, a shot that is quite funny or something like that. And uh, it's it's kind of, I would venture to say it's kind of a slight film, but while you're watching it, it's tremendous fun. And for those that don't know, uh, it's uh, a mockumentary about uh, several vampires that are roommates in Wellington, New Zealand. And just their day to day, or I guess you could say night to night uh, activities. And it's very, it's sad, often sad in a funny way, but sometimes sad in an actual sad way. Um, And that's something that I do appreciate is that they understand there needs to be some heart to this if it's going to stick with people really at all. And so, uh, so it, it does. It does talk about the idea, and other vampire movies certainly have, but um, the idea that, yeah, when you live forever, it's really just you, you're you just watching all your friends die, you know, and that's a sad thing. And there's a moment in, in um, Shadow of the Vampire, it's a really powerful moment where the, the Max Shrek character is talking about how when he read Dracula, the, the part that made him sad, uh, the most sad was when Dracula was trying to set the table for, uh, for Harker having not purchased wine or having not drank wine in centuries, mm-hmm. having, having not had any taste for bread and still, and trying to remember what it was like to be human. Very, it's, it's a very wonderful monologue. that's very sad in the context of Shadow of the Vampire. They have a moment like that where they're trying to set the table for a human to just basically trap him. And, uh, and they just take a jar of spaghetti and just dump it on his plate. And it's just, <laughs> it's not, and they, they keep calling it Pischetti, which is adorable. Um, and it's, uh, now, go ahead. Do they address the one thing I always wonder about because vamp- these, I, from what I understand, some of these vampires have been along for a very, alive for a very long time. Yes. Are they shorter than everybody? Do they talk about the fact that people, because if you go back hundreds of years, not even if you go back less than a, like at the, uh, the Skirball Center, they have the costumes, some costumes from Casablanca. Hmm. Like those people are tiny. Yeah. It's not even a hundred years ago. They did not address it. No, I'm sorry. Okay. Maybe, maybe someday. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a really wonderful, delightful film. I laughed a lot and, uh, and I enjoyed myself. And so if you have the, if you have the opportunity to see it, please do. I think you, I think you'll like it. Okay, now I think uh, this is actually um, we're going to converge here. From Watch what I out. understand, uh, the next thing I saw is Matthew Vaughn's Kingsman. Kingsman. I, that is my last one. Yeah, the Secret Service, um, which is a an unfortunate title. Yeah, it's, it's two titles. Mm-hmm. When we no. well, because the the graphic novel is simply called the Secret Service. And that's, so they when needed... we saw the the panel at, at WonderCon last year. Were you there for that? I was. It was just called the Secret Service. That's true. At that yes. point. Um. Yeah, uh, that said, I have I definitely have some problems with it. I don't have any major philosophical problems with it the way I do American Sniper, mm-hmm. but I, there's just some things about Matthew Vaughn that have rubbed me the wrong way and continue to rub me the wrong way. Yeah, You know, like, I, I guess, uh, I won't get into, this won't be real, this all happens pretty early in the movie, but, the, you know, there's a guy who dies right at the beginning of the movie and it's sad, and everyone's very solemn about it. Mm-hmm. And then, like, ten minutes later, not even ten minutes later, there's a guy who dies in a really grisly way, and it's kind of like, oh, well, and moving on. Like, uh, I feel like Matthew yeah. Vaughn was so, like, preoccupied with how 
creative it is to slice a guy in half oh yes yes that he forgot that this was still a human character that we'd already met and has friends uh that i i uh uh, i'm bothered by and uh when i saw at comic-con this last year when i saw the kingsman panel and they show that entire first sequence right up to the point where they where that man is cut in half and then the villain walks in um, oh okay i wasn't there for that Right, and but that's what I said is just like, oh, I feel like its attitude towards violence is going to be more, uh, hey, high-five me, uh, more than anything else. But it's not. Eventually, right. it really gets it right. Well, I don't know if that's true. I, I, I don't know if it gets I, it right. Did you read, least, I wrote a whole thing for the website. Which I agree with completely. I, 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 and, I, and as I was watching it, uh-huh. I had a lot of the same thoughts that you had, and I was very excited that you uh, articulated them in your article. Uh so uh, what I, if you haven't read it, you can go to the website and, and read uh, what I wrote about the, the violence. I, I, I took as my cue one centerpiece scene that takes mm-hmm. place at the – it's sort of the – I guess it's the conclusion of the second act of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, this scene that just technically and aesthetically is astounding, this oh, sure. action scene. I, I said in, 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 my, in my piece uh, that it's on par with some of the stuff we've seen in like The Raid and John Wick and I don't mm-hmm. – uh, I'm not going to shy away from that. I stick by that. It's unbelievable. And also, I think this is a higher budget movie than either one of those. And so there are some things that uh, he's able to do with the camera that I just I don't uh, I don't even fully understand what, uh, you, you know, it's uh, the, at some point the camera seems like it's must be on some sort of motion control or like arm thing that's following him. Yeah um through through the air but it's also very close and handheld feeling um it, it's it, it it's it seems like the kind of stuff uh, i feel like people aren't necessarily noticing the camera work in that sequence as much as they should because it feels like in some of those shots i feel like uh maybe i'm just you know i'm just a guy who went to film school over a decade ago yeah. and i don't really <laughs> but this seems like something you could do in animation um anyway that's not the point. What I'm talking about is um, that the film, I, and I don't know if it's intentional or not, but um, it does bring up some questions about uh, violence and moral relativism uh, and using violence as a, an, a means that will justify, that will be justified by the end. Yeah. Um, and just how far we're willing to follow that logic because yeah. – uh, this this centerpiece scene that I'm talking about that I don't want to give away. I mean, I gave it away in the thing with a spoiler warning. I don't want to give it away here what it is, um, but it really uh, it's really uh, ideologically ballsy. I think I found it. I found that scene. I mean, of course, fun, uh-huh. but also very disturbing. Yeah, um, because when you think about it, like how much difference is there between the hero and villain here? Uh, not a whole lot. When you talk about the idea of willing to do terrible things in order to achieve something theoretically noble uh-huh. um, and the idea of, oh, there are people that are regressive and are making the world a worse place. Let's get rid of them. <laughs> now, one guy does it uh-huh. and we think, oh, what a monster. Right. Another guy does it and we're thinking, high five. Um, and it's just, it's, it's a much more, 
I don't know if Matthew Vaughn intended this at all or if it's just a, a happy accident, yeah. but it was an, an, an inter- it brought up some interesting questions inside me. Yeah. Um, and, and that sequence especially, I remember just thinking like, I was not expecting this type of action sequence. Sure, I expect it in this type of movie, but the context is really strange. And you're, and you're, you're dead on in your article. The, you feel like maybe there's some kind of twist going on. You're not 100% sure what it is. Right. But the action starts before, you, before it occurs to you that something, there's more going on. Yeah. And you just start to think that this is turning into, you know, God, uh, God bless America <laughs> right. or something like yeah. that, where it, it sort of is like, ah, look at this nice cathartic violence. Don't you hate people like this that, uh, and wouldn't you love to do this? Of course we can't, but uh, seriously, we'd love to. Um, I thought it was that for a while. And then it, so it started there and then got, and then got bigger. Yeah. As far as uh, ideology. And so yeah, it, it does it does go, go to more places that yeah. I that I didn't see coming, but was glad to see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I quite liked it. There's a couple of things. Um, I don't like the uh, the anal sex joke at the end. Um, or, or it just seems like. It, that joke, like it's a dumb joke that the the the, the woman makes i don't want to give away spoilers but a woman yeah. makes it uh says something that is like okay clearly someone thought that would be a funny thing to write oh, yeah. into a screenplay and then like the guy who doesn't realize the joke is over and isn't funny anymore the movie returns to it hey guys yeah. do you remember that joke i made <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly i didn't like that um i think this dude whose name i'm forgetting now who plays eggsy uh i think he's got star quality written all over him yeah uh, he, uh, I, I hope to see him in more and more stuff. That said, there's a line he, in my opinion, completely blows. Okay. What, what do you got? The, the, there's a line where he, it's, it's like so much of the movie. It's, uh, a, a, a sort of, um, play off of James Bond. Mm-hmm. There's a line where he's being specific about how he wants his martini made. Yes. And I feel like the actor didn't really understand what, do you know what I'm saying? Oh, sure. If I, if I, as an actor, let's say I got cast as somebody who for a moment talks in depth about sports uh-huh. uh, i would yeah, be yeah. lost without a map and, and i feel like i say I, I know what you mean yeah i feel like he didn't quite understand what it was that he was asking for in yeah. this martini and i just wonder did no one was there no one like to tell him like yeah like no you need to put you're, you're misplacing the emphasis or here's what this really yeah he's speaking in a metaphor but he seems to be taking it literally in the way he delivers the line yeah um Anyway, uh, that probably, I don't want to focus on that because I think he's fantastic. Yeah, and, and I also re- like uh, any movie that um, uh, emphasizes the importance of manners and dressing well. Yeah, and and <laughs> you know there is just there's so many. It sounds strange, but not unlike the film Blast from the Past, uh, which, which I never saw, which it talks you know talks about manners and being a gentleman and stuff like that. There are just little turns of phrase that I think, man, that's nice. And of course, Colin Firth delivers it, it all impeccably. Yeah. Um, but when he talks about the idea of being a gentleman is not about being superior to other people. It's about being superior to your former self. And I remember thinking like that, thinking and being like, man, this, this movie's got it figured out. Yeah. Um, which is a thing I did not think I would say. And certainly by the end of the film, I didn't. Uh, but, but yeah, all that stuff, all like, the and really- also like the, um, um, a man's name should only appear in the newspaper when he's born, when he gets married and when he dies. Yeah. Like that's, uh, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a small line in the movie, but I feel like given 
where our culture is right now. Oh, sure. Um, in terms of, you know, instant celebrity and everyone's has their, everyone has their 15 seconds mm-hmm. of, uh, of, of, of fame now. Um, I feel like that's actually a really important, uh, yeah. um, idea to get across. That character is very well conceived. I like him a lot. I like the way he's written. I like the way he's designed and I like his performance. Um, and just stuff like the newspaper clippings he has around his office uh-huh. of just mundane things. And each one is a reminder of what he did, but also why he does it and a reminder of how he needs to keep doing it. And, uh, it's a, yeah. Kingsman is a, in many ways, it's kind of dumb. Yeah. Certainly that last joke is dumb. Uh, but well, oh, the, ways, the anal sex. Yeah. Yeah. Joke. Cause there is a, there's a scene, there's a mid credit scene. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. To no. sort of wash that out of your mouth a little bit, I think. Ugh, I don't like the way you phrase that. <laughs> right. But um, the uh, <laughs> back to vagina steaming now. Um, right. The, or uh, I guess anal gargling. Is that oh. what I was trying to? <laughs> oh. What is wrong with us? So, um, so uh, that sounds like a metal song, right? <laughs> So, uh, yeah, but it's a film that I would actually recommend. I was actually very happy that I saw it. Yeah. Okay. Um, one more movie for me. Uh, it's, um, it hasn't come out yet. I just saw it last night. It's, it's called two men in town. It's a remake of a 1973 French movie, Italian movie. I can't remember the sting. Um, no, (laughs) it's, uh, the the original is also called two men in town. Um, and, uh, the, story for it's got a great cast forrest whitaker plays a guy who's just spent 18 years in prison for killing a sheriff's deputy uh while in prison he's become a muslim he gets out and brenda blethen plays his Hmm. uh doing an american accent plays his parole officer um and harvey keitel plays the sheriff still the he was the sheriff 20 years ago still the sheriff okay um of the deputy that you know that he that he killed and then Luis guzman plays his old partner in crime who's gone on to be quite a uh you know successful criminal i mean he's he's it takes place in new mexico near the border and uh so he's um Luis guzman is sort of like one of one of the many things he has his hand in is getting illegals across the uh border i don't like that illegals as a noun i shouldn't say that uh but getting mexican or people you know south americans uh from the mexican border illegally into the Mm u.s um so yeah fantastic cast it also has i'm a um, big fan of brenda bleth and i'm i I love her um ellen burston has one extended scene okay uh and then it also has the guy whose name i always forget who is carchetti's campaign manager on the wire you know who I'm talking about? Reg E. Cathy? That's it. Yes, yeah. him. Um, he plays. He Brenda also Blethen's plays a boss. significant role in uh, House of Cards. Okay, I don't watch that show. But um, uh, so yeah, great cast. It's a good story, well told. But at the end of the day, I kind of feel like everything about it is just perfectly fine. <laughs> like, yeah. it's nice. It's all nicely done. I have one major complaint in that it's one of those movies that starts with the ending and then goes back, and yeah. I. I really think in this case, the movie really really hurts itself hmm. by, um, by uh, uh, by showing you where uh, where it ends because the uh, the 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 title Two Men in Town." Yeah, um, I don't think either one of them refers to Forrest Gump, uh, Forrest, Gump <laughs> Forrest Whitaker. Hmm. Um, I think it's suddenly this movie got a lot <laughs> yeah. better. I think the two men are Harvey Keitel and Luis Guzman, who represent theoretically 
opposite forces, but both of which are trying to drag him back to yeah. a life of crime. Um, hmm. Because one, because Luis Guzman just wants him, you know, to come back and be his buddy and everything to be the same. And Harvey Keitel, because he doesn't want to forgive this guy for killing someone and doesn't want to believe that he's reformed, you yeah. know, and all, all the things that Brenda Blethyn's trying to do to help him, like, get a job and meet, you know, meet women and and just be a member of the society, uh, Harvey Keitel is trying to stop that like, he doesn't, he, you know, tries to get, the, he try to get, tries to get him fired because he doesn't trust mm. him or, you know, when he's on a date, he shows up out of nowhere, you know, shows up, mm. like, flashing his lights and doing the whoop, whoop, you know, yeah. uh, thing just to sort of, like, embarrass him and just, so, that's the conflict, but by showing what happens at the end, you kind of know already who wins. Yeah, that ending thing, I feel like it's a thing that filmmakers do. First off, I feel like it's not as common as it used to be like in the mid-20-aughts. Uh, uh, well, that's good. Um, but at the same time, I feel, like, I feel like it's a thing that is done uh, fairly casually, and that is a thing that you absolutely should not do casually. You need to know why you are showing the end first. Um, because a, when we get to the actual end, when the time comes, you need to be able to comment on that on top of everything else. And so, uh, so for somebody to do that kind of maybe haphazardly thinking that it's just a neat way to tell a story, I feel like that's uh, misguided. Yeah. Um, but any movie that has a uh, Forrest Whitaker as a lead, I'm excited about. Yeah. Um, there, there's a line in there that I don't know if it's supposed to be a joke or not, but, um, when Harvey Keitel, Harvey, Harvey Keitel, the first time he sees Forrest Whitaker after he gets out, it's been 18 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes home that day and his wife's – and he says, you know, I saw uh, William Garnett today. I think that's the character's name. Um, uh, and the wife said, oh, yeah? Uh, well, how, how's he look? And Harvey Keitel says, he's lost some weight, which I feel like – I feel like yeah. that's an intentional joke that Harvey, that uh, Forrest – Forrest Whitaker. Why do I want to say Forrest Gump? Forrest Whitaker has definitely lost weight in the last 20 years. Yeah. And I feel like that's an intentional joke. That's I don't funny. know. Or not. Um, yeah, I was going to talk about, uh, I know I usually talk about TV. There's not, uh, you watch The Amazing Race. We'll talk about that. Uh, well, let, let me first say yeah. a couple things. Adventure Time, a couple weeks ago, did an episode called The Mountain, which is a lemon grab centric episode. Mm-hmm. And anyone who knows me knows that lemon grab is my favorite character. And this did not disappoint. It was that, uh, like, Adventure Time has now able, is now able to write its own check to the point where it doesn't have to be for kids anymore. Right. I mean, it's still colorful and has, you know, uh, silliness in it, so I'm sure kids still like it. But this episode, like, I don't, like, I'm 32. I don't really understand what happened. It was a very sort of philosophical and metaphysical and existential episode. Um, and you don't, <laughs> like, not often is there a kid show that incorporates the phrase, the ecstasy of ego death. <laughs> <laughs> which is something that lemon grab says uh it's uh, it's it's certainly one of the best uh adventure time episodes um this season but i mean they, they they've just really been on a roll and then i also wanted to talk about um last week's episode now the finale of how to get away with murder the two-part finale is airing tonight while we're recording this i think it's probably just started um but last week's episode had guest star cicely tyson as viola davis's mom and it was perfect and uh just watching those two uh i think you know one of the things i like about how to get away with murder and it's sort of uh elevated tone um is that you can have actors 
chew the scenery and really sort of go at each other in a way that would in other shows or or movies be uh, it might take you out of it because the tone it's established you're allowed to uh, to be a little more arch mm-hmm. and i think viola davis and cicely tyson being arch at one another <laughs> it was a fantastic thing to watch sounds good all right that's it for tv what, what what about Amazing Race? Well, uh, well, I'll say this: I did watch I watched Gotham again, and it's by far the best episode of the season. Ooh. It was very strong. Uh, Do we know I, who the Joker is yet? Yeah, they revealed that last week. Okay, um, they did reveal that. Yeah, this this was a much better thing where it dealt with the Red Hood, which is in the in the DC Gotham universe. Uh, several people have been the villain and sometimes hero the red hood and this kind of takes that idea and and plays with it and uses it as, uses it as an opportunity to make larger points about the world of Gotham City and it's it's solid it's a really neat idea uh so i liked that i did see the uh the series finale of Parks and Rec oh so did i i forgot to mention that i did because okay. i don't watch the show but i did yeah. watch the series finale because i have to talk about it on the on hey watch this okay. and uh, i enjoyed it what was that i enjoyed it uh, I wish I liked it more, um, partially because just, I know it sounds weird and this, when it, even if it's a comedy show, the finale is always going to be more nostalgia and more tears than laughs, which <laughs> that's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was, I thought it was, there were some uh, laughs. There were some laughs. Uh, the flash forward when, um, Ron is Ron, right? Mm-hmm. Is leaving his job at the very good building and construction company. Yeah. And the one guy says, <laughs> He says, what did he say? Like, good luck out there or something? Yeah. And he's just like, don't be so emotional, Brent. You're embarrassing yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, you gotta, how much of Parks and Rec have you watched? This is maybe the third or fourth episode okay. ever. I think, I think it would be worth your going back and watching it on, I think, Netflix. Uh, I think you would enjoy it. Um, yeah, I, I liked it quite a bit. It is, of course, there's the bittersweet quality because of uh, the death of Harris Whittles, um, which is a very sad thing. Yeah. By by an odd happenstance, I, I, uh, a friend of mine whose name is also Tyler, uh, works, uh, worked for two years on Parks and Rec and was working with Harris Whittles on uh, another project. Oh. And so just, but he talked about how, and this has been kind of put out there that like, as strange as it may sound, this brought like the cast and crew together in a way that you'd think the finale was already headed in that direction, which it was, but the death of Harris Whittles brought these people closer together in a way. It's like, okay, so I guess we're all going to be lifelong friends now because uh-huh. of this, this one, two punch of the finale. And then this tragedy. And so it just sounds like such a, it's, of course, it's a horrible thing what happened. And you, and of course you and I know a lot of people that are buddies with uh, Harris Whittles and it's just a very sad thing. But, uh, but it sounds like in the, for the cast and crew of Parks and Rec, it sounds like, they sort of found comfort in each other and all that. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, I did want, uh, the next, this season of survivor just started. Okay. And it's, it's one of their stupid theme seasons. It's blue collar, white collar, no collar. Yeah. I read about that. Okay. And what here's, so it's, it's basically, you know, as I'm sure you can imagine people with white collar jobs, people with blue collar jobs, and then people that are like free spirits, they don't like collars, man. Um, (laughs) And so, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, what, and here's, what's interesting. Anytime survivor makes these like designations, it could be heroes versus villains, which at least 
at least acknowledges like this is how this is based on how the person played the game when they were here before. But then they had like brains versus brawn versus beauty. And they split people up based on this. And they talk about like, oh, it's going to be a great social experiment. Like it's that part of the experiment is going to go away almost immediately. But what's interesting, the real experiment for me is if I were to say, hey, David, on Survivor, you're going to be on the brains tribe or you're going to be on no collar. I'd be white collar. Come on. You think so? Yeah. yeah you're wearing a tie right I'm now. I'm literally wearing a tie. Yeah. I have a collar right now. I guess so. Uh, but you're artistically minded, you know, whatever. But uh, but if I were to say, you, but imagine this. So you say like, well, I, you know, I work in a, I work in an office. I sit at a desk. I wear a tie. And I said, yeah, but because you're creative, you're no collar. We're, we're counting you as that way. Some people will grab onto that label and you, and they will sort of, their actions are dictated by the label that's put that's on interesting. them. And it's already happening in the first episode. And that to me is much more interesting. And I don't know if the producers of Survivor count on that, but it always happens. I'm trying to think if it were brains versus brawn versus beauty. Mm -hmm. And I like, look, I'm not any of those things. But if I got put in brains, Mm -hmm. I'd be like, what, you don't think I'm pretty? Or if I got put in beautiful or whatever beauty, I'd be like, what, do you think I'm dumb? Yeah. That that would be more of it. Whereas, and then Braun, you're like, I'm gonna snap your neck. <laughs> no, I mean, even in my like fantasy version of myself, no one's putting me in Braun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I would be like raising my hand. Like, there's clearly been a mistake here. If you're in Braun, then I feel like is like. So you think I'm ugly and dumb? <laughs> right. Do, am I the thing from Fantastic <laughs> Four to you? Um, yeah. So I find that interesting. Uh, uh, an exper- the experiment uh, that I don't think they actually intend is, is like how people wear labels. But anyway, uh, and then uh, Amazing Race, they did an, uh, this is also a gimmick kind of season where it's all dating couples. Already, I don't like it. Um, or at least I don't like the idea of that. I enjoy watching various types of relationships. It could be two friends, it could be two coworkers, a parent right. and a kid. But do we get, we'll probably get to go back to that next. I, I'm next sure. I'm, I'm okay means, with one season experiments like this. I'm okay with it. Uh, and the, but the so there are six couples that have been dating already, and then there are five couples where the first time they have met each other is here on the race. Yeah, and I read about that. And it's uh, I can't wait. <laughs> you know what? It, it winds up Sparks being sparks are gonna fly. Oh my gosh! There is, and what often happens, and this happens, you know, in, in regular seasons as well, where you like one person and you hate the other person. Now that's all well and good when it's a couple, but when it's a blind date, there's the person you like and the person you hate. Turns out the person you like also hates that person, <laughs> and that and they and just and the look of and just the look of horror on their face when they realize like. I can like we're either going to lose and then I've lost the amazing race or we'll go all the way and I got to spend I got to go around the world with this absolute moron. Um, oh, I can't wait. When no, you I, watch, you'll know exactly yes. the, the team I'm talking about. OK, by this time next by the next one of these, I will have watched. Yeah. All right. Is that it? That is it. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Hey, bye.